Brother Jones, the title of the sermon is Husbands, Love Your Wives. Now, I'm preaching on uh, Ephesians 5, 25 and following. So everybody open up your Bibles to that, and I'm going to go through those verses as we come to them. I'm not going to read them all at first, so uh, I want you to have it uh, ready. Winston Churchill was invited to a formal banquet in London at which all of the attending dignitaries were asked this question. If you could not be who you are, who would you want to be? Well, naturally, everybody was curious uh, as to what Winston Churchill would say. He always Uh, was very eloquent and always had something uh, brilliant to say. He was seated next to his beloved wife, Clemmie. When it finally came down to Winston Churchill's time, uh, the old man, who was the diner's last respondent to this question, rose and gave this answer. If I could not be who I am, I would most like to be, and then he paused, and he reached down and caught his wife's hand and held it up right in front of him, and he said, Lady Churchill's second husband. (laughs) He made some points that night, didn't he? As we examine this morning the husband's loving responsibility, We want to fix our minds on how to do it, what we're supposed to do as Christian people. Now look at verse 31, which says that when a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, they will become as one flesh. And then adds in verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. The truth here has two parts. First, there is an amazing unity in marriage. That women and men become one flesh suggests sort of an exchange of souls between the two. It indicates something of a psychological depth in the marital union. Marriage ideally produces two people who are as much the same person as two people can possibly be. Christians in marriage have the same Lord. They have the same family. They have the same children. They have the same future. They have the same destiny. They're both going to glory one day to be with the Lord. This, in my opinion, is why... Older couples sometimes, it seems, grow to look more like each other. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever noticed that? I have. They begin to look more and more like each other. Second, the union of Christ and his church is partially illustrated by the marriage union. This is why he publicly identified himself as the bridegroom. He said, I am the bridegroom. The church is the bride. It is also why he did 
his first uh, miracle at a wedding. Now, first of all, Paul talks about sacrificial love in verse 25. Let's look at that verse. The opening line is a clear call to sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The radicalness of this injunction is especially clear when we see that marriage in the ancient world had fallen upon hard times. Pagan marriage in that day was in total shambles. There was no order to it. There was no expectation of responsibility in it. There was none of that. Demosthenes said, We have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and of having a faithful guardian for all our household affairs. It was the husband's aim in marriage of that time that a wife might see as little as possible and hear as little as possible and ask as little as possible. Similarly, Socrates said, Is there anyone to whom you entrust more serious matters than to your wife? And is there anyone to whom you talk less than your wife? The ancient pagan man just breathed adultery. It was everywhere. Seems like everybody had it. The marriage bond was virtually meaningless. It was better with the Jews, of course, except that ultra-liberal school called the Hillel School. They allowed a man to divorce his wife for virtually anything. If she put too much salt on the food, then he could say to her, I'm divorcing you. And she would have to get up and walk out of the house. The only thing that she had were the clothes that were on her back. That was it. She didn't have anything else. So she could go from real security there in the home to nothing in five minutes. Another qualification for divorce, the Hillel school said, was that if they grow less pleasing in the eyes of their husband, then you could divorce her for that. Well, when Paul said this, in that setting, Think how powerful and how foreign to their mindset this was. It was a radical call to marital love. This was a bare-knuckled swing at the domestic ethics of that time. And some would say of our time today. Taken seriously, the force of these words... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's staggering in the setting of the world at that time. Nobody wanted to do that. That was foreign completely to what they were doing and thinking. What does such Christ-inspired love demand? First and foremost, 
the example of Christ involves the death to self. Are you still with me, Brother Jones? All right. I do not think it is a figment of Christians' men imagination. And even if we were presented with a choice, you know, either we would die or our wife would die. We would die for our wives. That's what he's saying. The wife, in many ways, is more important than we are. And we need to be willing to lay down our lives for them. Well, when Paul said that, in that day, in that circumstance, uh, they just laughed. They thought that was utter foolishness. A leaky kitchen faucet may not seem to be much to us men, especially if uh, we just kind of walk through the house at the end of our work day. But if we were to be there in the kitchen as much as some wives are, uh, it would seem like an oriental water torture. The leak, leak, leak of the water. Sacrificial love dies to self and serves the one it loves. He would fix it for no matter what. He'd get it done. Second, sacrificial love prays for its bride as Christ does for the church. Christ is praying for us even now, if we are not praying for our wives in detail, if we are not loving them as Christ loved the church, we should be praying for their spiritual life, their obligations, their pressures, their friendships, their dreams. For that is how Christ is praying for us, even today. Thirdly, as Christ is attentive to the church, so we must be attentive to our wives. Years ago in the Midwest, the story was told of a farmer and his wife who were lying in bed during a severe storm when suddenly the funnel cloud of a tornado came down and just lifted the roof right off their house and then it sucked their bed up with them still in it uh, up into the air. And the wife began to cry. And the husband, the farmer, said, this is no time to cry. <laughs> but she called back and said she couldn't help it. She was so happy. And then she said why she was happy. It was the first time that they had been out together in over 20 years. Are <laughs> right, you writing that down, Brother Brown? Well, that's a good one. Christ loves his church, and he rejoices in the presence of the church. A godly husband will follow that example. Lastly, a husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her will be ever faithful to her. One thing the church can count on is the fidelity of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus himself. 
And this is the one thing a wife whose husband loves like Christ can count on, can really count on. Chastity is the security of love. What a slap Christ's sacrificial love is to many men's provisional commitments today. May it awaken us to our call of dying to self, that kind of love of praying, which lives in continual intercession need, an attentive love, which lavishes time and care, a faithful love, which extends until death. This is what our brides, the mothers of our children, our soul partners, this is what they must have, and nothing less than that. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All right, the second point today, Paul talks about a sanctifying love in verses 26 and 27. Would you look at that? The sanctifying effect of such love is beautifully set forth in these two verses. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with baptism through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In order for us to understand this sanctifying love, I want us to think about three brief pictures. A picture of, uh, of marriage that is that is very beautiful, of a Hebrew marriage. A prophetic picture, I want you to see that, and a marital picture. The Hebrew picture is this. It is the bride's wedding day. This is the day of her dreams. This is the day that she has been looking forward to all of the years of her life. This is the day that she has agonized over and prayed about and thought about and dreamed about all the, all the years of her life. She rises with the dawn of anticipation. The hours speed by. Her women friends come and join her for her ritual nuptial bathing. The cleansing bath completed. She is clothed with her embroidered linen wedding dress, and she puts on her wedding sandals. She waits breathlessly without spot or wrinkle for her bridegroom. That's a lovely picture. But the prophetic picture is even more so. It is of the individual members of the church here on earth who under the preaching of the word are converted and joyously baptized, symbolizing full washing from sin and their regeneration as the bride of Christ. Then the picture switches to the return of Christ when this washed and regenerated church is presented to Christ in absolute perfection. She radiates that perfection, completely free, from any ethical or spiritual stain. 
the official wedding is ready to begin. This is a picture of the ceiling of the romance of the ages. Then there is the earthly marital picture. It is of a woman who throughout her life has grown to be ever more like Jesus, a prominent instrument in her progressive sanctification has been her loving husband. He has been a humble partner in a developing wife, developing in her beauty before the Lord. How did all of that come about? He was a man in whom the word of God richly dwelled. As God's word and God's spirit filled him, he lived out the ethics of the kingdom before her. As her loving leader, he served her, he prayed for her, he adored her with unconditional love. The tide of his authenticity encouraged her onward and upward in her beauty of soul. The sanctifying love of the husband was an an effective instrument in Christ's hands. When men read verses 25 through 27 together, we cannot escape our huge responsibility. Is our wife more like Christ since she has become married to us? Now ask yourself that question. Is she more like Christ today because she is married to you? Or is she like Christ in spite of us? That's the question. All right, thirdly, Paul speaks of a self-love in verses 28 through 30. In Greek mythology, you know this story, there was a, a very, very handsome young man who didn't love anybody. He just couldn't find anybody that he wanted to love. Until one day, he saw his own reflection in a pond. And he thought that was the prettiest thing he had ever seen in his whole life. And so he fell in love with that reflection. He was so lovesick that he finally just wasted away and died and was turned into the flower that bears his name, Narcissus. Well, we are repulsed by narcissism and carefully seek to avoid it. But here in the scripture, it actually calls upon us to have a self-love. Now look at verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for his own body. Just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. The golden rule of matrimony is that you shall love your wife as yourself. And when you love her as yourself, you will be loving yourself because the two of you 
are as one flesh. This works out in marriage in a number of ways. It is evidenced in the husband's sensitivity to his wife's feeling and environment. I know how I feel physically, and I am aware of my emotions. Of course, I can never have such intimate knowledge of my wife's feelings and emotions. But the call to love her as I love myself demands that I and you work at it just as hard as you can. It demands that we be sensitive to her moods, her needs, her nonverbal communication. I am to practice patient love, to set myself to understand the pressures that she faces. This love is not only sensitive, it is courteous. One of the things that I mourn about today is it seems that courtesy has just been thrown out the window. I see so many men as they walk with their wives or their girlfriends or whoever it is, as they walk together down the sidewalk beside the street, they walk on the uh, wrong side. You know, the, the men are always supposed to walk closer to the street. I thought everybody knew that. You know, a lot of people don't do it. And the re- where that came from was is the horses and carriages and all that. When they would go through the mud, the mud would splash up, of course, and it would hit the man and not the lady. And that's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be today. You know, people drive by and they hit puddles and water goes all over. It's supposed to go over us, not them. Uh, well, you know, that seems like uh, something that's passed. Um, I think we ought to open the door for our wife. I think we ought to treat them like ladies. I think we ought to be very courteous. I think husbands uh, ought to do that, not because the wives are weaker, but because courtesy displays the gospel. Putting the other first, finding her a seat. It says, I love you as much as I love my own body. That is legitimate self-love. This valid self-love also demands communication. If we love our wives as we do ourselves, we will work at communication. Proverbs twenty-four twenty-six says... An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. An honest answer. That's very important. An honest answer is an act of love. Husband, let us commit ourselves to sacrificial love, to the death of self for our wives, to sanctifying love that they might grow to be more like Jesus and to a liberating love, where there is a self-love of loving our wives as we love our own bodies. This is a holy and scriptural call on every husband here today. Well, if you're in the house and you have not uh, trusted and believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, we pray that you would. 
That's the call every Sunday, every service from this pulpit. We believe that's fundamental. That's foundational to anything else in life, that you would trust in Christ, that you would ask him to forgive you of your sins and you'd place your faith and trust in him. If you've been a Christian for a long time or even a short time, we'd love to have you come and join with us and be a part of our church family as we try and serve the Lord, as we try and reach out and help uh, folks just like the Browns who are here today. Uh, We want to help them, support them, pray for them, lift them up. Well, we want to do that together. And the more of us that do it together, the stronger our support can be. If there's a spiritual decision, maybe some of you would like to rededicate your lives. If there's a spiritual decision here today that you'd like to make, I'm going to stand right down at the front. And if the Lord leads you, you just slip out, slip forward, take a stand today for Jesus. Let's stand.